We are going to continue to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do. Go ahead and crack those open. The book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is just about in smack dab in the middle of the Bible. Um, I, I always forget to look this up. In the, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, open the blue one in front of you. And what page are we on, Mr. Joey Himes? What one? 553. If you're in the blue Bible, page 553. Ecclesiastes is... Uh, is a smaller book, so it might be harder to find. So if you're in that blue Bible, page 553, Ecclesiastes, smack dab in the middle of the Bible. Um, you know, I, I noticed something funny the last couple of months. You might have noticed this too. The uh, last few months, I didn't realize how many of my Facebook friends were experts in Middle Eastern politics and impeachment policies and procedures. Are you with me? Did you, know, you didn't know that all your friends are experts in these. Did you know that? Our friends are experts in that. Uh, why is that? You get on Facebook, you see when something happens in the news, it, f- it seems like certain people love to voice their opinion and, and come across as experts. Um, why is that? Why do we like to do that? I kind of poke fun at my Facebook friends, but I do that too. I do that too. I like the feeling that I'm an expert. I like the feeling that I, I know what I'm talking about. I like the feeling that I know more than you do. I like that feeling. Do you like that feeling? Is that just me? There is something about knowledge and wisdom that is important to us. And there's something about knowledge and wisdom that's very important to our culture. To appear knowledgeable and wise at any given moment is extremely valuable to us. And when we don't know something, we tend to feel embarrassed. Do you feel that? There's nothing embarrassing about not knowing about Middle Eastern politics. It shouldn't be embarrassing, but it's embarrassing. We get that feeling. It doesn't feel good to be wrong, and doesn't it feel good to be right? That feel good? Doesn't it feel good to feel smarter than someone else? Doesn't it feel like a badge of honor when we are an expert or when we believe we make wiser decisions? Is that just me? Maybe it's just maybe this sermon is only for Jordan Hodges today. I'm wise enough to save my money. And somebody else should, they should be wise enough. To, I'm wise enough to save my money. I'm wise enough to have a working marriage. I'm wise enough, how about this? I'm wise enough to raise my kids right. I'm wise enough to vote in the right way, and they're, they, they don't know enough, they're not wise enough. I'm wise enough to buy the right items at the right times. See, this attitude points to what the world sees as valuable. The world seems to suggest that you are valuable dependent on what you know. And the world seems to suggest how much you know will bring your life meaning. Whether it's physics or 
fixing a car, and everything else in between, our culture says what you know determines your value. And we feel this. I don't know anything about fixing cars. And so, driving my car to the mechanic is a bit intimidating. Anyone else in right there with me? Why? It's a silly thing. Because we bought into this idea that wisdom and knowledge adds to your value and wisdom, how much you know, will bring more meaning to your life. And Ecclesiastes is going to ask, is that true? Is wisdom and knowledge, is, are those things something that we can find and grab a hold of and bring our life satisfaction? Can I live a wise life and find purpose in my wisdom? Surely in the last few decades, we should have figured this out by now. We have knowledge at our fingertips like never before. Oh, by the way, you see what's on the back there? My four-year-old daughter brought that for me. We have in our pockets access to all mankind's knowledge. Hasn't that brought us lasting joy? Of course not. Do knowledge and wisdom bring satisfaction? That's our question for today. Now, before we jump in, we've got to remember our key terms. Do you remember our key terms for Ecclesiastes? The first one is Hebel. H-E-B-E-L. Remember Hebel? What does Hebel mean? Vapor. It means futile. It means empty. It means something that makes no permanent impact. And the word that we <coughs> excuse me. And the word that we have chosen to substitute for Hebel is smoke. And the theme of Ecclesiastes is everything under the sun is smoke. What do we mean by under the sun? Under the sun means, let's for a moment, let's for a moment get in our spaceship and hover above the planet Earth with our telescope and let's look at everything going on on the planet. Let's pretend that God doesn't exist and let's exclude God from the equation and let's take a telescope and let's see what life is really all about. That's what under the sun means. And so, Ecclesiastes' key point is this. Under the sun, everything is smoke. Meaning, there is nothing under the earth that will bring you lasting purpose. There is nothing under the earth that will bring you lasting joy. It's all smoke. It's all smoke. When I see something that I'm pursuing, maybe it's marriage. That's a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. And I see marriage billowing up like smoke. And I think, wow, my life can have meaning if I can get my marriage on track. And as soon as I pursue that and I seek to grab marriage to make my life matter and bring purpose, what happens is I find that I'm grabbing at smoke and it comes 
between my fingers. So, but wisdom must be different. Can wisdom bring bring us meaning and purpose and joy? Lasting joy. Let's read together. Let's see what what he says. Now, we're going to be a little tricky, okay? You're going to have to be paying attention here. We're going to start Ecclesiastes, big number one, little number 12, and then we're going to skip over the first few verses in chapter 2. Chapter 2 talks about, talks about self-indulgence being smoky. We're going to hit that up probably next week. So, stick with me. Ecclesiastes, big number 1, little number 12, goes like this. I, the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. All that is done under heaven. Synonym for under the sun. means the same thing. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is (coughs) all is vanity. All is smoke. All is breath on a cold day. It's gone. And striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly and foolishness. I perceived that this also is but striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, confusion, exhausting confusion. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, take a leap with me in your Bible. Chapter 2, big number 2, little number 12. We're going to pick up a few more verses here. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, than in foolishness. As there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. This is also smoke. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Welcome to church. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun 
was grievous to me. For all is smoke, is vanity, and striving after the wind. Can wisdom bring my life meaning? What is wisdom under the sun? A lot of definitions for wisdom. This is what we're going to stick with. Okay, this is what we're going to stick with. Wisdom is knowledge, so it's knowing the facts, taking those facts and being able to process it and making sound judgments, and then being able to have the fortitude, the guts, to act on those judgments. Wisdom is using facts to make correct conclusions and having the courage to act on those conclusions. I think that's wisdom. I think that's good wisdom under the sun. Because under the sun, you as a follower of Jesus can have that kind of wisdom. Under the sun, non-believers can have that kind of wisdom. Uh, Knowing the facts, making good judgments, acting on it, non-believers can do that too. So that's a good wisdom definition under the sun. And then he introduces this section on wisdom by saying, I the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Who is this man? King Solomon. If there is anyone who is qualified to judge the benefits and merits of wisdom, it is King Solomon. If you've been in church your whole life, you know the story. In 1 Kings chapter 3, God comes to Solomon in a dream. How would you like this to happen to you? God comes to King Solomon in a dream and He says, Hey, Solomon, whatever you ask for, I will give to you. How would you like that? Let's see, the Chiefs would definitely win the Super Bowl if God asked me that question. And Solomon says, wisely in itself, God, you've been so kind to my father, King David. You're good. You've given me all this weight to carry. Your people spread out like numerous like numbers, like sand on the seashore. What I want is I want to be wise in how I lead them. Good answer. And so God says it'll be done. God makes him the wisest man on the planet. And in making him the wisest man on the planet, Solomon becomes one of the most powerful men on the planet, becomes the wealthiest man on the planet. God says, because you asked for this good thing, wisdom, I will give you other things as well. Could anybody be in a better position to speak on wisdom? And whether or not wisdom can bring satisfaction. Could anyone else in the history of the world be able to achieve satisfaction in wisdom if it were possible? No. He's the one. If we want to find out if wisdom can bring satisfaction, can bring lasting joy, can profit a man for eternity, it is Solomon. Solomon's the guy. We need to find this out. So Solomon, being the wisest man in the world, was a literal genius. He's a genius. Now this is all speculation, but think about some qualifications and characteristics of genius. Solomon, I would imagine, has something like a photographic memory. How awesome would that be? So he reads a book and he remembers everything that he's read in a way that I can only imagine. 
I could imagine, of course, this is all speculation. Did you know Da Vinci could write simultaneously with both hands? That's genius. If that is Da Vinci, what would the wisest man who ever lived be able to do? Write with his toes, too? I don't know. A polyglot. You know what a polyglot is? It's someone who has the brain power to know many different languages. Imagine Solomon could speak many, many different languages. And think about applying this kind of brain to business practices, to economics, to politics. His brain works differently than mine. He is in a perfect position to tell us if my life should be pursuing wisdom so that I can gain eternal joy. He is in the perfect position to tell me if wisdom is what I can base my life upon. He is in the position to tell me if wisdom, seeking wisdom and knowledge will bring me satisfaction. He's in the position to tell me that. And and indeed, Solomon takes his God-given wisdom and is using it to answer this question. He's saying, is wisdom what I can build my life upon? Will wisdom make me satisfied? If I had this superpower, it's what it seems like, a superpower of super intellect, I would imagine, I would believe that my life would be satisfied. That's what I think I would believe. And so to answer that question, will this satisfy? Solomon embarks on two very similar pursuits. He says, verse 13, I've applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He's putting all his chips on the table. He's going to say, I have this wisdom from God. I'm going to use it to find satisfaction. I'm going to find everything that's done under the sun. And he says, applied my heart. Now we know what that means, but let's talk about it anyway. Applied my heart. This is wholehearted devotion. The Hebrew word there makes us want to to read into it and want to say this is something that's deeply personal. That is, is, he, he is deeply devoted to the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. He is deeply disciplined in this endeavor. Wisdom involves facts. And I'm going to try to have wisdom satisfy me. So wisdom involves facts. And so I'm going to know everything. Now we kind of scoff at this now because I've got my phone in my pocket that knows everything. right? But at the time, there's not as much going on. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Solomon... Could not, it's in the realm of possibility that Solomon could have read every book that's been written that he could get his hands on. It's within the realm of possibility that Solomon could talk to all the wise men that he could get his hands on and learn from them. Are you with me? So that's what he's pursuing. Second pursuit. And... He says, I applied my heart 
to know wisdom, and to know madness, and to know folly. This is how devoted to this pursuit that he is. He's not just going to know facts. He's going to be devoted to learning about wisdom itself. He's going to take wisdom and knowledge and he's going to crack them open and he's going to see what makes them tick. He wants to see what they're really all about. We might call that today epistemology. How do we know the things that we know? What is wisdom and knowledge? What does it mean to know something? How do you know when you know something? These types of questions. Now, he's not just going to crack open wisdom. He's going to crack open foolishness. He's going to crack open the opposite of wisdom. What makes something foolish? How does foolishness tick? And he's going to add to that madness. Now, we think crazy, and that's part of it. Crazy. He's going to find out what's crazy and what's not crazy. But it's not just craziness. This word here is supposed to tell us that it is craziness plus a spiritual element. The Hebrew word here wants us to make us think of boastful arrogance that sets itself up against God. Should help us see that setting ourselves up against God, rejecting Jesus Christ and His goodness, all of that stuff is a different category than even foolishness. What is madness? What is that kind of... Crack it open and see what it has to offer. And Solomon is successful. I have seen, he says, verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. There's no more books to read. There's no more lectures to attend. There's no more conversations to be had. I, Solomon apparently knows enough about enough that he feels he could determine if wisdom and knowledge can lead to real satisfaction and meaning. He says, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So how did his study go? 1 Kings chapter 4 says this way, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life. He also spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard his wisdom. The dude was smart enough, wise enough to write 3,000 proverbs. and People wanted to hear him. People, give, give me some of that. He knew enough facts that he could teach on plants and animals and bugs and birds. And after this deeply personal, deeply devoted, deeply disciplined study of all things, what does he discover? Is wisdom satisfying? Well, the first thing, and we need to be very careful, right? We need to be very careful First thing he discovers, well, first thing we're going to talk about that he discovers, wisdom is good. Okay? Wisdom is good. He says, he says, in wisdom there is 
verse thir- two, chapter 2, verse 13, there is more gain in wisdom than folly. Should, okay, wisdom is smoke. I get where you're going, preacher, so I'm going to pull my kids out of school. We're going to shut Pitt State down. We don't need to do any of this stuff anymore, right? Bob, quit teaching science. No, of course not. Wisdom is good. Wisdom is not meaningless. Some of your translations might say meaningless instead in place of Hebel, meaningless. We don't like that translation because these things aren't meaningless. They're just smoke. You just can't base your life around them. Wisdom is better than foolishness. Wisdom is walking around with eyes in your head, seeing the light, not bumping around into everything, while foolishness is bumping into everything in the dark. Wisdom is good. Wisdom and knowledge are good things. We should pursue them. Scripture says that clearly everywhere. Proverbs 19.8 says, the one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. James 1.5 says God loves giving wisdom. He says if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Wisdom is not a bad thing. Wisdom is not an evil thing. Wisdom is not something to run away from. And foolishness is not something to boast in. These are good things. But that's all for the happy-go-lucky side of wisdom. (coughs) He also discovers, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to to be busy with. As he gains wisdom, he's able to see more of the world. You know what he finds out? Everything is smoke. Everything is smoke. And he, like, he adds this, and I like this phrase. Everything is like chasing after the wind. It's like her, the, the idea is it's like herding wind. Like herding cats. Like herding children. Like herding your wife. No, I better not go there. He says, I have seen everything that is done to the Son. Chapter 1, verse 14. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Wisdom brings sad discoveries. Ignorance is bliss. Wisdom brings sad discoveries. What he discovers is wisdom doesn't lead to fixing our smoke problem. He says, chapter 1, verse 15, he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Can't wisdom and knowledge help us figure out how to take smoke and make it real? Can't wisdom do that? No. There's something fundamentally wrong with life on earth. And there's nothing that humans can do to change it. No matter how smart we are, no matter how powerful we are, no matter how much money you have in the bank account. Solomon says, man, I tried. I tried to find lasting satisfaction. I tried to find true meaning under the sun. I pursued everything that I could. He says, I I hate to tell you this, the smartest man in the world, that crooked path cannot be made straight. 
He says, wisdom brings confusion and sorrow. Chapter 1, verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation. (sighs) Vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You ever say this? I'm more confused than when I started. The more education you have, the more you realize what you don't know. Are you with me? Sunday school teachers. The more you teach, the more you study the Bible, what do you discover? There's a whole lot more you don't know about God. That's vexation. And finally, wisdom cannot bring lasting profit. Remember last week? We're pursuing something that is profitable, that is lasting. I want something that will continue on. I want satisfaction that keeps going, that doesn't stop. I need something to take my heart and captivate it forever. I don't need a day of captivation, uh, of, of being captivated. I don't need a week of being captivated. I need an eternity of something to take my heart, something to live my life based upon. I need something that's not smoke. It's not wisdom. It says, I studied the fool and I studied the wise, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. While there are some fleeting benefits to wisdom, ultimately, wisdom and foolishness will produce the same effect. Smoke. Wisdom and foolishness will lead to the same place, the grave. Wisdom and foolishness will lead to the same thing. When we are in the grave, we will be forgotten. I'd like to, if I could, add to Solomon's reasoning here for why wisdom is smoke how much of what we once believed has been changed? You know what I mean? How much of what we know or believe right now is going to change in a year, five years, ten years? The smoke. Our brains forget. No matter how sharp you are now, your brain will deteriorate. My wonderful grandma, getting older, my dad told me this week that she's beginning to forget their names, the names of her children. This sharp lady. Taught Sunday school for 50 plus years. This sharp lady. Wisdom is smoke. He says, "What? no matter how wise we are, we will be forgotten. Well, Solomon's name's in here. We're talking about him now. What do you mean? Remember last week? Knowing somebody's name or a few facts about their life is not knowing the person. What did he, have, what did he like to eat for breakfast? Did he love going and watching the sunrise or sunset? Did he love swimming in the Dead Sea? What are some of the things? That's how you know somebody. Oh, that's forgotten. 
And so he, he leaves us this section on wisdom with verse 17 ending like this. All is smoke and trying to herd the wind. Now remember. Remember how this works, right? Boo! Go down, 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 down. But here's the good news. We know somebody that Solomon couldn't even dream about. In Solomon's forward-looking faith, he knew that God was going to bring a Messiah and he knew that God was going to take care of it. But we know things that Solomon didn't know. How do we live in a world that is smoke? Solomon's conclusion is this. A lifetime of deep devotion to the pursuit of wisdom led to Solomon discovering that wisdom, while good, brings vexation, sorrow, and hopelessness. The same thing happens to the wise and the fool. Death and to be forgotten. Under the sun, wisdom is smoke. How do we live like this? How can there be hope in this? How do we have a hope in that wisdom is smoke? In God's great mercy for you, in God's great love for you, He created the world in such a way that the brokenness of wisdom under the sun helps us see true wisdom. Namely, the cross. Wisdom being smoke helps us see true wisdom is the cross of Christ. To understand that wisdom under the sun is smoke prepares our hearts for the cross. Because God's saving power doesn't come through what is wise under the sun. God's saving power comes through what seems foolish to the world. If you think wisdom is what you can base, the worldly wisdom is what you can base your life on, you will miss the cross because the cross is God's wisdom and it seems foolish to us under the sun. It is foolish to the wisdom of the world. Let me tell you what, why I think this. 1 Corinthians 1 says it this way, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is wit written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In the cross, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greek see, Greeks seek wisdom. They're chasing after wisdom. And they're never going to find it. They're never going to grab it. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. If we base our life on the wisdom of the world, the cross is going to be foolishness and we will not seek Jesus. We will keep striving after the wind and we will die in our sins and go to hell. 
So in God's great love for us, He has shown us that wisdom under the sun is smoke so that we will be prepared to see true wisdom in the cross of Jesus Christ. How does the world view the cross as foolishness? The cross is foolish to the world because the Son of God would not die on a cross like a criminal. That's foolishness to the world. Our Muslim brothers, our Muslim friends and neighbors, excuse our Muslim friends and neighbors, they reject the cross as foolishness because God would not die like a common criminal. That's foolishness to the world. You know what our answer is? You're right. He didn't die like a common criminal. It's way worse than that. He died like me. Way worse than a common criminal. 2 Corinthians says it this way in the wisdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For our sake, for our sake, He made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. That is foolishness to the world. The Son of God dies on a cross to take all the, all the sinful, stupid, terrible things that you have done. He takes it to the cross. That's foolishness to the world. It is the wisdom of God. How's it foolish? How's the cross foolishness to the world? God wouldn't embrace suffering. Suffering is what is what we do to, to is what to be all avoided at all costs. Suffering is to be avoided at all costs. It is foolishness to the world to think that God would see value in suffering. Prosperity gospel. That's foolishness to the world, but the gospel says suffering is a means by which Jesus reveals his great love for us. The suffering of Jesus is how he reveals the depth of our sinfulness. And our suffering for his sake is how we can reveal our great love for him as foolishness to the world. That is not smoke. Acts 5.41 says this. How foolish is this to the world? You ready? Acts 5.41 says this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for His name. That is foolishness to the world. But that is deep wisdom of God. Crosses foolishness to the world because we aren't that bad of sinners. Couldn't God just snap his fingers? Forget everything happened? That's foolishness to the world. No, the gospel says we are incredibly wicked sinners. Our sin against the almighty, all-holy God is of infinite evil because of who we sin against. We are all deserving of hell. That's what the gospel says. But in the mercy, the great mercy of God, through Jesus Christ, in his wisdom, he has offered forgiveness for all who call upon his name. That is the depths of the wisdom of God, and that is foolishness to the world. In fact, Proverbs 9.10 says it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? The fear of the Lord. The trembling respect for the holy God of the universe, which will reveal that we are in trouble and we need a Savior. That is the beginning of true wisdom. 
How about this? It's foolishness of the world to love our enemies. Christopher Hitchens, noted atheist, big, one, of, one of the most famous atheists on the planet, says this about loving your enemies. I am not going to love them. You go love them if you want. Don't love them on my behalf. I'll get on with killing them, destroying them, erasing them, and you can love them. But the idea that you ought to love them is not a moral idea at all. It is a wicked idea. Loving your enemy is foolishness to the world. And if, that is fool- if it's foolish for you to love your enemy to the world, how does it look to the world for the God, Creator, Sustainer of the universe, all perfect in all things to come and die for His enemies? How foolish does that, must that look? And so Jesus comes and He says, in His wisdom, in true wisdom, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, we've heard that. We heard that from Christopher Hitchens. We hear that from, I hear that from my heart every day. You hear that from your heart every day. You read it in the newspapers every day. We've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I get that. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Sons and daughters of the Most High God love their enemies. We follow our big brother Jesus' footsteps. Finally, the cross is foolishness to the world because no one gets anything for free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You with me? That's foolishness to the world. What does the Gospel say? The Gospel says, Christian, the Gospel says God's wisdom is this. For it is by grace, a free gift, It's by grace you've been saved. Through not what you earn, not being wise, not being a fool. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. That is foolishness to the world. That is the wisdom of God. And finally, Christians, wisdom is not something we base our life on. And that understanding prepares our hearts for the gospel because the world sees the gospel as foolishness. The world sees the cross as foolishness, but the cross is the wisdom of God. The cross is foolishness because nothing is worth giving up your whole life. That's what the world says. C.S. Lewis says this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to keep what he cannot lose. The world says giving up your whole life to follow Jesus. Putting yourself on the cross like Jesus calls us to. Giving up your desires, your preferences to find meaning in Jesus. The world says that is foolishness. I said, it is foolishness to take on the sexual ethics that Jesus gives us. It is foolishness to love your enemy as Jesus gives us. It is foolishness to commit to coming to a group of flawed people called a church. It is foolishness to be part of them. It is foolish, it is foolish, it is foolish. And Jesus says, no, follow me. And I will give you joy unspeakable. Follow me. Lay down your life on your own cross. And I will make you sons and daughters of the Most High God. It is not foolish to give our life to Jesus. 
But because Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in our sins, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up. This is why it's not foolish to give your life for Jesus. It is wise. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that, it's not foolish to give your life up for Jesus because in order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. It is worth it. Everything else is smoke. Pursue Jesus. Give him your life. Climb up on the cross yourself. Give it to him. Follow him. Come to him in faith. Call to him as Lord. Seek his forgiveness. And you'll be seated next to him for eternity in the heavenly places and where we will see the kindness and grace of God displayed on us lavishly over and over and over again. Wisdom is smoke. Wisdom is fleeting. The cross is forever. Pleasure is fleeting. The joys of the Lord are forever. This life is fleeting. Your eternal life is forever. 